Have you ever been knocked down and found it hard to get up? Have you ever been knocked down and bounced back to come back even stronger? Hi, I'm Gaurav Bhagat and you can call me GB and welcome to the Smash Bashed Yet Not Dashed podcast. A fortnightly podcast where I speak about persistence, perseverance and overcoming the odds to come out ahead. So welcome all you listeners. Today we have an exceptional episode planned for all of you. Uh, it is my honor and my pleasure to welcome today to the Smash Bashed Yet Not Dashed podcast, Richie Dolan, coach, mentor and friend. Someone that I met about 18 months ago, I think it was, when he came in as the head of licensing for Grand Cardone. And that's where our association first happened. And never could I have imagined that someone would come in and make such a drastic difference um, to not only my life, but the life of so many around me. Ladies and gentlemen, today I want to introduce to you Richard Dolan, someone who is gifted, grounded, and well, exceptional. Richie, welcome to the Smash Bash Yet Not Dashed podcast. What an amazing introduction, man. I mean, I, I sometime... In the future, if there is anyone that has to do my eulogy, you've got to be the one who gives it. So that was spectacular. Good good to be here. It's good to see you, man. And I'm uh, grateful for the invitation. Thank you once again for accepting. I know your schedule is so packed and I really appreciate this. So for the people of India and, and the listeners, you know, who don't really know who Richard Dolan is, how would you introduce yourself in a few lines to someone you're meeting perhaps uh, for the first time? Hey, listen, that's, that's an interesting question because I think quite simply, I'm an entrepreneur. I mean, that's just the bottom line. I'm an entrepreneur. I, I invest my money, my time, my attention, my bandwidth, and I look to get a positive return on that. But I mean, remember just having to come up with a far better answer when my son came back from school and there was a drawing of me describing who I was. And there was there was planes and stages and people and books and, 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 and an image of me talking with, with the kind of caricature that I could actually represent. And so it's amazing. I mean, I've been so blessed to be so many things for so many people, but but ultimately I was born and raised in the financial services business. I mean, that's where I really started. So raising assets, gaining clients, providing financial life, strategic planning and advice was really my MO. And so as I grew up in that space and began to recognize that being an author and being an influencer and being a speaker would actually, in fact, increase my profile before the adaptation, of course, of the internet and social media and before podcasts and vlogs, that was the way you got your name out. And so it just so happened that I became far more famous for that than I did for the money management, making money and doing financially strategic things. So the two came hand in hand. So I sit here before you as an author, a speaker, a coach, um, and definitely an influencer. So that that's who I am. That's what I do. Yeah, I love that. And you know, completely agree with that. And and even then, you're kind of understating the whole thing. And we're going to go into your journey. I mean, that's what this podcast is all about today. But to put into context, you know, you train some of, as a performance coach, some of the best and the biggest sports people in the world. We're talking about Mike Tyson. Uh, we're talking about Le- LeBron James. We're talking about someone who perhaps has just about turned 48 and he had already has three NBA championship rings uh, under the belt, right? Mm. Which is, you you, you uh, a new one? I got, I got the new one right beside me. You see how that glitters? I love that. Oh, wow. boy. That's the LA Lakers ring right there. You see my name, actually. Can you see my name, my friend? You see that? There you go. I do. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow. You know why they put your name on these rings? So so you oh. don't you don't eBay it. So you can't eBay it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> That's just fantastic. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were working with uh, LeBron James, who is the MVP of the N- NBA, right? Wow. Like, I, uh, I'm a strategic like, advisor. Yeah, performance advisor to that camp under Mike Mancius's uh, control and and his oversight. But but listen. I mean, not to interrupt you, but you're right. I mean, look, a performance coach, I've, I've had a real strong background in money, wealth, and worth. I've published 14 books. I've been a visiting professor at Schulich School of Business, which is one of the top five business schools in the world, teaching wealth management, marketing and selling wealth management services. I've raised $10 billion. I've started, you know, fun companies. I've been in real estate. I've been developing. I've been, there's, I've got a, a great resume for about five lifetimes, and I feel like I'm just getting warmed up. So so you're right. There's a lot of wonderful things I've been able to do. Lots of incredible people I've been able to do it with. But it's really now uh, wonderful to see how all those accolades and that track record is now beginning to serve people like you and perhaps your listeners as well. I love that. Now, this is called the Smash Bashed Yet Not Dash podcast, right? And I'm sure there have been instances in your life and, and perhaps going back to maybe when you were growing up, when things weren't you know, panning out the way you'd like them to be. In fact, I often hear you mention that you were perhaps, uh, you know, 16 when you perhaps had to even, you know, walk away from home. So, so let's, let's just go back to that time because we've heard about the Richard Dolan of today, but let's go back to the Richard Dolan of when you were 16, when you really had what was perhaps your first or one of your first smash bash moments. And there could be earlier ones as well. So I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about that as well. I mean, look, Rob, everyone has a history. We, we all have a past, but just because you do doesn't mean that should predict your future. So with that being said, you know, for most of us, I think the way to enter this conversation is we all have had really interesting times when you were growing up. For me, my parents divorced when I was about six years of age. So coming out of a broken home, that in itself had its own dynamics, emotionally, physically, and later on and in life, interpersonally. It was, it was a difficult thing to really reconcile. And I think anyone coming from a broken home gets that. But, but you know, of course, like any struggling teen, and I was definitely one of them, a rebellious and understanding that I had one father here and one father there, my right. stepfather over there is the one I lived with alongside my real mom, my biological mother. And uh, it was his way or the highway. And he made that clear oftentimes. And like, like a real great ego at 16 years of, of age, left unchecked, you take that on. You take that challenge on. It's like, you know what? I'll take it. And uh, out came the garbage bags and I, I packed uh, two of them and, and never came back. So, I mean, for me, leaving home at 16 was likely and definitely far too early. I mean, I look at my 14-year-old son right now, and I think to myself, in two years, I couldn't possibly see him leaving home and having to survive, especially in the times that we're in. So I think that definitely accelerated my growth, my growing up, my maturity, my adulting, if it were. I learned in a hurry that electricity wasn't free. It didn't just come out of the wall. And when you wash your clothes, it took a few coins to do so. And so, by the way... So you, you know, you learn a lot of things about living and taking care of yourself at that age. So it grew me up. And I think when I first stepped into the world I did for employment, I really recognized that I was motivated, but not because I was motivated in the traditional sense. Like when you read those books and you kind of come to life and you think to yourself, oh my God, I want it all. No, I needed to make ends meet. I had rent and I had to you know, buy food and I had to buy enough things to really survive a month. And so, you know, I had a different type of motivation that never left me. So I'm very, very uh, grateful today for that, that early smashed, bashed, and yet not dashed moment. But at the same time, I know looking back, if I was back at that moment, I probably wouldn't have wanted it. 
Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I love that. And people always ask me this question, why did you start out in entrepreneurship? And um, I always tell them, I said, either it's aspiration or it's desperation. Um, sometimes you have no choice. So I guess that when your journey started out in, in you know, making, I mean, the first amount of money that you did, it was actually desperation. There was no choice. And if I'm not mistaken, you found yourself or you found your way then to the financial markets, right? And you were, are you working the phones? So let's, let's just hear a little bit about, about that time of your life and what was that really like? I mean, that was a really cool time when the, the stock market and the stock brokerage business was really just about to head into sort of the, 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 the 1990s, really. And in 1991, after watching a movie called Wall Street, which featured uh, Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas, the Oliver Stone pick, and he, he played opposite Charlie Sheen. It was an amazing recount of just what the spirit of Wall Street of the 80s was. And I, I just remember, I mean, I want, I just knew in that moment, I want to be that guy. And aside from, you know, greed is good. And aside from being powerful and rich, there was something about the allure of that world that drew me. And so talk about, and I've never said this out loud, actually. So it's nice that I'm saying that on your podcast, but I remember I had a girlfriend at the time who lost her social insurance number, a card that you need for employment. Mm -hmm. So we went down to a government building and in the government building, there was also employment boards where, where I'm born and raised, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, you would walk up to these boards and you would see job postings, literal physical cards, index cards. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing one just as I was waiting for her to go into line to get a social insurance card. I right. saw the address and the name of a company that sounded familiar. I took the card down and I called the number and it turned out to be a cold call cowboy uh, job. It was a telemarketer position mm -hmm. and it didn't matter that it paid $4 an hour. It, it didn't matter that I would only get $10 per account opening. Right. I knew that I wanted to have a shirt, a tie, and to be in one of the top five bank towers in my city doing exactly like I saw in Wall Street. And that's where it began. Awesome. So was that almost like uh, the movie Boiler Room where you're working the phones and you're um, you know, getting people to buy stock on basic recommendations and all that? Must have been, uh, must have been interesting. I mean, the spirit of what Boiler Room captures is, is, is the spirit of working the phones, for sure. But, but the underbelly to Boiler Room is that they were selling stocks that weren't going anywhere but down. It right. was a, a pump and dump scheme. And, and I mean, for right. the firm I worked for, which was Midland Wallen at the time, which turned to Merrill Lynch, mm -hmm. um, there was no pump and dumping. I mean, that was a, a very top tier blue chip type company that I was really honored with. And, if, and quite frankly, I thought to myself, how did I get in here? Because... I really didn't belong there. I didn't, I didn't come from the right family. I didn't go to the right school and I wasn't the graduate of the right business school. Right. I didn't have the right training, but what kept me there was my sheer hard work because I kept producing results. So it, it wasn't my looks and it certainly wasn't my charm because I didn't have much of either back then, but at least it was the fact that I was producing results that said, you know what, we don't know how this kid got here, but he seems to be putting up numbers on the board. So let's keep him around. So I think the big next transition, and I think you're listeners will appreciate the next moment I got to transcend that was when they began to invest in me. They started sending me off to workshops and, and academies and weekends and boot camps to, to start weaponizing, if it were, my skill set, my thirst, my hunger, my drive for selling. And they weaponized that ability. So rather than making uh, 300 cold calls a day and only moving several million dollars a month, I was able to do still 300 cold calls a day and started moving tens of millions of dollars a month. Wow. And so when that happened, I began to really recognize that I don't need to do more stuff. I just need to be better at what I'm doing. And right. so I think my, my, my date with my destiny, if I can cite an old mentor, 
I would mm-hmm. say Tony Robbins was born. That's that's when I recognized I, I got to learn more about how to perfecting who I am and what I do. And then a new journey began. Right. And I love how you mentioned Tony, because I know he's had a very big role to play in your development uh, as well. And so was that when it happened when you started actually going to workshops and then you you connected with Tony and, and then you actually um, joined the crew and you were traveling with Tony around the world. And, and I think you spent many, many years. Was it six plus years uh, with, yeah, um, yeah. with Tony and the crew? Yeah, how I mean... That? How was that experience? I mean, because he's, I mean, just truly larger than life, right? I mean, it's just the aura, the persona. How was, how was that, you know, yeah, touring with him? His, his teeth are like this big. And I mean, he's just, he's just massive. But yeah, I mean, you know, being, being involved in the wealth management business, it was all about profile, as I said earlier on. It's all about getting your name out there, connecting with people, putting your face in front of many. And so I began to sponsor a lot of events that, that allowed me to be on stage and then share them with uh, really iconic figures at that time. And uh, Tony was one of them. So at the time, I got to tour across my own country, which was the only one that was of concern to me because that's where I was raising money. And uh, every time he was in Canada, I would be able to share the stage with him. So it, it was great to share the stage. It was great to have gotten his endorsement. It was great to have been mentored and groomed by his team because that's what you do. You elevate, right? When you When you're out there to activate people. So that was a really incredible experience. And he was too going through a very interesting series of rediscoveries and, and redevelopments. You know, he, of course, he had an incredible history. And I don't want to make this about him, but like most people, we go through uh, a number of transitions. So I'm just grateful that I was able to be around for a couple of those uh, over the span of nearly two decades. So, but, but it opened up doors. Gaurav, I mean, because of that, I was able to be introduced to President Clinton. Because of that, I was able to be introduced to Oprah Winfrey. And because of that, I was able to work with Ellen DeGeneres. And so it just became this really great compounding effect that as a result of working with one icon, legend, or God, it gave way to working with yet another icon, legend, or God. And it became a compounding effect. So it opened up many doors. It, it made it possible for me to be who I was. And all it did was it just kept raising the bar for me to keep performing at the level I, I, I was performing. Right. Yeah. I love how you bring that up. And I remember the first time, you know, I actually came across you and someone in office and I was, I was just showing them your Instagram profile and they're like, who is this guy? I mean, is that, is that Bill Clinton? Like, is that Obama? Is that, you know, Ellen? Is that Tony Robbins? Like, how does he have, you know, all these pictures with all these amazing people? And well, I guess, you know, you did put that a little bit into context today. So Coming back to to Tony, because he, I mean, I attended one of his workshops. It's the first time he came to Asia, which was um, the first time in 25 years. And this is in 2018. And, you know, of course, there was it was UPW. And, you know, day three, he does the whole limiting beliefs um, session. And I'm like, oh, what's my limiting belief? And obviously, you know, I did figure it out. And then I think that took me on the journey to Grand Cardone and, and where I am today. Where I realize it has to be more than, you know, just gifting. It's about maybe giving back, maybe finding purpose, you know, maybe doing something bigger, empowering others, etc., what was one of your biggest takeaways uh, from the time that you spent with Tony Robbins? Well, you know, what I can, what I'd rather do when you get the moment to share maybe hosting capacity and I can actually share my screen, mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll share with you with a very newly released sizzle reel that really captures the span of my entire career within one minute. And you'll see it. You'll see the difference. So if you're able to do that, then great. I'll show it. If not, that's okay. But for, for me, I think the biggest difference was, you know, really working with someone who is truly a legend. I mean, right. you're you know, Tony Robbins, unlike any other speaker, trainer, mentor, or influencer out there, is, is really one of the founding grandfathers of our modern time. I mean, sure, before him, there was the, you know, the, the, the Harvin McKays and the Zig Ziglers. I mean, before that time was the Wayne Dyers. 
mm-hmm. of course, but but no one quite took the motivational experience and really made it into an entertaining, engaging, inauthentic, life-altering experience quite like he has. And right. I think that's what lends to his sustainability. That's what leads to his relevance. That what That's what probably leads to his growth. He continues to fill stadiums. I mean, at the time that we were touring, the most I've ever been in front of because of him was about 30,000 people in a room. And that's pretty big. But, I mean, he's he's putting like 50,000 plus people in stadiums and and he's a motivational speaker. Like you got to think to yourself, like that's, that's phenomenal. There's, there's some musical artists that can't do that anymore. And it also tells you the state of also the world that we're in, where it's still looking for, yearning for, and wanting more to be lit, to be led, to be heard, to be listened to. And so he's one of the most responsible human beings on the planet, still doing some great work and, and holding himself to an incredible standard that, that he himself continues to raise for himself, which in turn uh, impacts and affects us all. 100%. And it's been on for a long time and it doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. He's willing to stop or slow down. So more power to him. So I've, I've of course, you know, before we met and we met for the first time in, in February 19, February 20, sorry, in, in Las Vegas. And before that, of course, I'd heard you speak on, on Zoom and you were already, you know, coaching us as, as licensees. And I think the first time I heard you speak live was when you did the licensee briefing. It was one evening and there was a full room in the back and, you know, you did the licensee briefing. And I just thought that was that was exceptional. I mean, you know, you were asking for people to join the movement, the 10X movement and all of that. And I was ready to pull out my checkbook and sign you a check. And then I realized, wait, wait on, hold on a second. I've already, I've already paid for this. I'm already on board. You're, you're, you're like, already in. Yeah. But people are like rushing to the front and they're like, hey, we want this. We do this. Where do you really gain that ability to to speak and motivate and 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 just deliver the message that you do the way you do? I mean, where did that come from? Because that's exceptional. I haven't seen that with anyone yet. Well, you know, I appreciate that, man. I mean, first and foremost, I'm blessed with with some great gifts. So I'm very, very grateful and, and I'm humbled to have been bestowed those gifts. And I, and I try to use them very responsibly. I can't say that I started off that way. I'm sure that I've used the charm or the charisma to, you know, get my my way with with a young lady, or perhaps to uh, charm my way out of out of a real serious issue or challenge, like some youngins would, right, when we were kids. But as you grow up into your teen years and into your early adult years, you begin to realize that, hey, when I speak, people listen, and and when I ask people to do stuff, they do. And you know, as it's been said, with 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 great power comes great responsibility. That that's what Winston Churchill said. So for me, you you know, you cite a very interesting example of when you last saw me speak in a very physical space back in Las Vegas, where that was a huge hangar. And right. and I mean there there was no geography differential. It wasn't like speaking inside of a Coliseum where everyone's positioned to to, to your advantage. Sure Actually, is. everyone's positioned to my disadvantage because you have to project across. And at that time, we had about a thousand people that showed up, all yeah. sprawled across an area that the 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 I mean, our audio was horrible. The mics barely worked. It was just difficult, and so it was a real mesmerizing task because you but but you get to do two well really three things. You know, first you've got to really, in fact, make a real grandiose invitation. Like, what is it that I would could possibly say that would have people lean in and want more of? And so that was that's one. You've got to really articulate that. Number two. Is, is you've got to really bring the passion, the genuine, authentic passion to really want for people to have it. Not, 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 not be passionate about it. That's really easy to be lit up about me being rich or me getting something I want. I got to get excited for you possibly having it, for you wanting it too. 
And that brings me to point number three, where, where people have got a real strong detectability. They have an ability to see through people. They can see people for who they are, for what they're up to, and to detect really the truth of what they say. Right. And I really believe that if you live and lead consistent with what you stand for, you're not leaving much room for people's guts or intuition to pick up on any odd vibrations or any oddities outside of that. They, they genuinely see you for who you are and what you're up to. So, I mean... Are all those things learnable? Absolutely, right, Gaurav? Can I teach you how to do that? I'm sure you can teach everyone how to do that. But 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 being able to be a living demonstration of, of speaking and leading and living consistent with who you say you are, that's, that's the trick. And that's right. the opportunity. And I right. think it's only up until you are able to live consistent with that truth. And it's only when you're able to be a living demonstration for what you say you are, people begin to really lean in and listen. I agree 100%. And I think in time, people will then see through you. If you're trying to portray someone you're not, I think you can only fool people for some amount of time. I think over the long term, it's not something that's not really uh, you know, sustainable. Do you miss uh, live stages? I know you're, you know, I mean, you probably in the last year and a half, almost now, you know, we've been kind of locked in and we've been confined to, you know, our Zoom screens. Uh, do you miss going out live and, you know, getting out in front of people again? Absolutely. I mean, recently, because I live and reside in Toronto, Canada, we have a very different uh, situation with the pandemic than my southern friends do. And I do commute between the two countries. So I'm either in Miami or I'll be in Toronto. And I mean, Florida State, Miami uh, at large is, is a year and a half ahead of the pandemic. They're like, what pandemic? So I mean, they're in a different stage up here where it's masks on, wash hands, social distance, stay home. So, so why I say all that is because, yeah, you're right. I mean, I mean, human beings above all else, as Aristotle wrote, seek happiness. And when you really lift the hood on what happiness means, happiness means being connected. Happiness means being in conversation. Happiness means being found in a community, able to uh, collaborate, corroborate, and to create. And, and all of that can only be found in conversation. So if you ask yourself if conversation is really the root cause for what creates and, and, and produces wonderful levels of happiness, then what's the quality of your conversations? And as you quite eloquently put, they've been limited at the very best by Zoom. And, and I think that's been both a really huge blessing, but at the same time, a real, a real true letdown. Because as much as this is all we've got, this is better than nothing. And I mean, for, for people who are really sticking to building relationships and adding value, Zoom has been our best friend. But I think there's a, a time on the horizon, not too far from now, at the time of this airing, where we'll be back in rooms, we'll be uh, back on stages, we'll be back shaking hands or at least fist bumping uh, people worldwide, not Miami alone, not Houston, Texas alone, but I mean, everywhere in the world where we all get to, in fact, restore our relationship to being an interconnected world. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I got our fingers crossed on that one because I think this has just gone on for a bit too long, and it's now playing on people's, uh, you know, minds and, and psychologies and all of that. You mentioned well, we, start, we start for though, right, Gaurav? Just just to speak to it real quick, and I don't mean to interrupt you nor take you off track, but but we we starve for connection. That's why your podcast matters. We starve to to, to touch, to feel, to be heard, to, to to connect. We we really do. We we want to feel people not just literally and physically, but we want to feel that air. It's, it's kind of like if you go into a restaurant and you heard it's fabulous, but you sit down at peak lunch hours and no one's in there. Sure, that. It, chances are quite high that you either find that a blessing or you find that a little bit daunting. 
Because right. although it's empty, you kind of starve for a little bit of a buzz of other people, you know, corroborating, collaborating and, and connecting like friends would. So, right. so, so yeah, so we're, we're going to get back there, my friend. Agreed. That's an interesting example that you just gave. And I know you work a lot with like the NBA superstars and all the other sports people. How's it been like for them? Because, you know, the games haven't had any spectators. And like I was reading about, you know, an amazing, you know, uh, a play that just happened and they're like this guy had to like you know look out of the stands and, and wave out at, at cardboard spectators so like that's gonna suck a little bit so how's it been for for you know all the amazing people that you coach from having all those crazy raving fans in the audience to having well cardboard cutouts i mean that has got to be uh bizarre i talked to that's a great question by the way really really great i mean i've talked to a number of athletes and and, and there's an interesting observation that they make that they feel like they're in a circus you know, where, where there's very few spectators and they can't quite tell who's in the stands, but they have to perform. And all athletes, most professional athletes are performers, right? When they're on their field of play, whether it's a, a you know, a hardwood, a, a rink, a pitch, a field, or a ring, they have to perform. And everyone from Mike Tyson, who uh, made his debut after 20 plus years of not fighting, he was back in the ring in Los Angeles in 2020, right through to the NBA, and even the MLB, the, the major league baseball to, to, to be included, there, there were no fans in the stands. Sure. And so what you have is this, this, this really negative impact that's drawn from what we call audience effect. Right. And the audience effect is a real sports psychology term, which relates to the way an athlete performs thanks to the audience's involvement. And a great example of that is if you were to watch wrestling matches like the WWF or the WWE, which is it's now called, Absolutely. and they don't wrestle in the ring, they wrestle for the audience. Yep. And so uh, um, they hit someone, they hurt someone, and then they look at the audience for a reaction. And that's right. it's sort of like the sport of entertainment. Yep. So I find that for the NBA in particular, where I hang out most of my time in the world of professional sport, players are alone. You know, they're, they're sequestered, they're quarantined, they're not able to interact with fans like they would, take pictures, sign autographs. That's been uh, all removed for now well over a year. You know, they're, they're quarantined from, from certain parts of their family for, for quarantine measures. But at the same time, when they're out there performing, they don't have fans to perform for. So there are some teams that have been really negatively impacted by that because they thrive on fan engagement. They thrive on that energy. And then there's some teams that have really thrived as a result of the absence of it because they're just about business. They're just about doing the plays, running, running the routines, getting the ball in the net. So that's why paid maybe this year, the full year this year, 2021, is the first really odd year of, of the way the NBA is really unfolding because they're no longer in a bubble. They're right. back on the road and they're in their hometowns and they're touring, right. but not right. with the fans. Mm -hmm. So it's still not a level playing field, but those who are really thriving as a result are different than any other teams from the past that have. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And of course you're seeing this up close and first, like firsthand. So that's fantastic insight. So you're of course extremely busy and, you know, you have so much on your plate and you mentioned, you know, the various companies and the businesses. And of course, you know, I'm sure you get approached all the time for new ventures, you know, because of, you know, who you are and your track record Despite all of this, all right, this year you decided to reach out to 25 odd people and you're coaching them almost, almost one-to-one, -one, almost one-to-one. -one. I say that because you're with them on Mondays and you're with them on Fridays and maybe you're with them on a Wednesday and a Thursday. And sometimes you're saying, hey, my number's, you know, open to you, book a call. What would make you do that? I mean, what would make you reach out to, you know, 
these 25 people and say, hey, I'm available for you and let's do this. Because that is an exceptional, exceptional amount of commitment to make to just a couple of dozen people based on how large, you know, your entire circle and the demand on your time actually is. No, you're absolutely right. But I mean, the things that you often do and do quickly are, are the things that you hope serve you well and long. And so for me, as I said earlier on, and you were on one of these calls too, Garab, is where I know that in order for me to achieve a new standard in my life, I've got to help raise the standard in others. So what I get to create in my world, what I get to experience in my world is co-created by the worlds I support. So when Garab is up to great things and another student's up to great things and that other person just knocked out a really cool thing out of the park, it, it inspires me to continue doing what I do. But the opposite is true where I also know that as the leader of that group, I also am being seen as the one who's keeping the pace, like the pace car, if it were. I'm the pace car that's pacing everybody else. So if I want to really get people to a different speed, I have to speed up. I have to put the throttle down. Mm-hmm. So there's something very magical that happens to people that really take on you know, shaping, causing, and creating uh, new leadership development skills in others, developing them into great people that are capable of greater things. And so that's why I opted to do it. Notwithstanding the fact that I love those 25 people, uh, you being one of them, where I've known you for a long time leading up to that invitation saying, hey, this is not cheap, it's not free, and it's a big commitment, but I really believe that you've got what it takes to go to the next level, really, if you want to prove me wrong, by all means, but I want you to be one of the folks I want to take on this year. So I've really enjoyed it. I mean, it's been a real, real treat. We're just only about maybe, I mean, a quarter of the way through. And uh, the pace couldn't be better. And it's nice to see people really unfolding and becoming, right? Unfolding and becoming who they're really meant to be. And you're no exception. Thank you for that. And I appreciate it. And like I said, it's, it's meant so much. And a lot of people in India recently been saying, what's up? Something's changed. They're like, there's, you're more vocal on, uh, on social and there's more, you know, good content coming out. I mean, on some of the calls when I'm working with some of my audiences, they're like, those are crazy insights. You know, where is this coming from? Where are all these ideas buzzing from? And I'm like, you know what? It's Richard Dolan and his band of merry men and women. Um, just curious, why did you choose, well, these 25 people? I mean, from you have almost, I think they're from eight different countries, if I'm not mistaken, you know, that, that make up our band. Why these 25? Out of all the hundreds and thousands of people that you had access to, why, why these 25? Well, I think they're the bravest people I know. I mean, they're, they're also some of the most co- committed and courageous that I've come to learn of. And it, and it definitely comes out of the time I've spent with them inside of my, my earlier years with uh, my good friend, Grant Cardone while I ran his portfolio for global licensing, where I, you know, we 5X his global licensing through a pandemic, expanding his global reach into 16 additional countries. I mean, talk about a job well done. We even launched a, a new talk called Courageous Conversations together, which I run to this very day, where just recently I had Steve Aoki on to talk about just what life looks like when he takes it on courageously. But but that's what it's about. It's, a, it's about, you know, what what human beings really can I count on that if I were to you know, disappear right now, could really continue their great work, helping and empowering people who wants to embolden their next great best move. And so I trust these people. I admire these people. I love, I viscerally love them. You know that I love you. And I think that makes the world of a difference. So yeah, I, if, if I was playing the numbers game, I could have probably sold this program to 100 people. If I really wanted to crush the game, I probably could have advertised and gotten 1,000 people. But, but I wanted to make sure that I got a handful of people that got to win their game. 
And, and that's why I just chose that many people. I knew that that was the right number given my bandwidth, given what I can promise. And my brand commitment was to make sure that, that, that we moved the needle for them in, in one, one area of their life guaranteed um, in the time that we had together. Awesome. Thank you. And like I said, you know, it's an honor that you found, you know, all of us worthy because I know they're all going to be listening into this particular podcast at some point. So thank you for finding us all worthy and thank you for, you know, just making us uh, who we are and all the insights uh, that you give us and the introspection that we do. I'm sure it's, I mean, I can't even believe we're only a quarter of the way and I, I just, you know, I have no idea how this is going to eventually play out. I think you do. I think you know how this is going to play out for everyone. And that's why you're always like, hang on, you know, I've got this, just watch and wait and watch. So thank you for that. So, you know, I mean, this space that you've had all your life, I mean, it's been a, it's been a blistering pace, right? Like all through ever since, you know, you um, walked out of home at 16 and obviously you mentioned you have a son who's 14, who's, you know, exactly as old as my son is. And, uh, you know, then you have a beautiful wife who uh, I think uh, you mentioned is uh, Italian descent, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Right. That's right. So let me tell you where I'm coming from, because, you know, even when I start on the journey of, you know, picking up as much and always being, you know, always, you know, always on the move and always, you know, just going. One day, my daughter, who's at the time she was seven, she drew a, a family portrait. The family portrait had my wife. It had my older son. It had her and it had a dog. I wasn't in it. I wasn't in it. All right. And it's on her wall. And she's like, take a look at that picture and do you think something's missing? And I'm like, am I the dog? She's like, no, dude, you're not in the picture. I'm like, so, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Was it ever like this, you know, for you as well, that the pace was just so blistering that, you know, maybe the family um, couldn't keep up or, or felt left out or something like that ever happened for you as well? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, you know, we're, I, I mean, I wasn't as lucky as some of my counterparts are in the world where they get to, you know, fly private and have their families with them. I mean, there's also, I think, personally, a, a responsibility for them to grow in their own communities and stay grounded with their own families and friends and networks and familiars. But for, for me, for sure, there was there was a definitely a time I know that I was going through a very hard time to work. Then I remember there was a time when I was doing a lot of learning. I, I would go to workshops and I was flying to events and, and boot camps and uh, weekends and retreats and whatnot. And uh, I had a very, very, very supportive wife. And at the time I wasn't with child yet. Mm -hmm. And um, just when I thought I really had it together and we were expecting, you know, I grew busy, but I slowed down by then. And I think that was just indicative of, of, of starting a little later to have a family. I so I was quite lucky that I was far more established than if I had started maybe 10 or 15 years earlier, like a lot of my other friends did. And, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Being only 47, although you said 48, you're already aging me. But, but I mean, for me, it, 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 there's no right time or wrong time. There, there's, there's no right way or wrong way. Yeah. We, we do what we can to put food on the table. We do what we must to keep a roof over the heads. And, you know, from the perspective of a child, you know, all they want is more. They want more dad time, more mom time, more time and love for them. And, and as long as they know that the only reason why you weren't there wasn't because you didn't love them and it wasn't because you didn't want to be with them, but because dad had to work and, and mom had to work or things needed to get done or you promised people you'd get things done or you were on a mission and, and you keep you stick to that story, then at least that when they grow up and older and they begin to reconcile their life emotionally and mentally and metaphysically and spiritually there's there's no part of that that they make you wrong for for just not having been around and as long as they know that and that's the truth 
then there's no shame in having worked hard, right? There's just no shame in it. It's, it's, you know, you want more, you work more, you want to get more stuff. You got to do more stuff. It's just, it's math. You want to lose weight, you eat less. You want to lose more than work out. It's, it's math. It's all math. So don't, don't feel any shame whatsoever for just not being on there. If I were you, I would just draw yourself in there and, uh, and call it a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. No, and, and now you, at least uh, from your perspective, I see you making a lot of time. You're making time for your son. You're at his ball games, and, and the weekends are, are strictly off as far as possible, though I know sometimes you get booked into the weekends as well, but I think you're making great time. And I think, again, that's a great uh, example to all of us on the program that we shouldn't, you know, perhaps lose our way on that front either. But as I get older, and as he does too, I realize, and I'll share this with your friends, just so that for anyone that has children, no matter how old they are, is 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 spending time with them is one thing but being really present while you are is another so it's one thing to say yeah yeah let's let's watch let's watch a program together yeah that's oh that's a really fantastic program i really i really like what you've got oh yeah that's that's that was funny that's not spending time with them you know put down the device turn off the ringer be really truly present because that's ultimately what they want right at the end of the day and so uh, when you honor your children, you honor your soul. And when you're honoring your soul, you're, you're giving yourself some good self-love too. And right. so I, I, so I think when it comes to weekends, I just want to make sure I say this for your, for your viewers, your listeners, and all those who follow you, Gaurav, is that it's not just about family. It's also about you. It's about honoring the fact that you need to recoup. You need to recover. You need to reset. You need to let your brain just rewire and repair. You need your body to also rejuvenate and recover. It's 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 a it's a physical phenomenon to be out there. I don't I don't care if you lay bricks for a living or if you're a nurse or a firefighter or a developer or a financier or a billionaire. We all are made up of the exact same stuff and breathe in the exact same air. You need to respect the physiology of your existence, and and right. it includes not just love but living. Agreed. Agreed. Well, that's priceless advice, and I'm sure everyone listening in will really, really cherish that, or at least they should. You're also someone, again, you know, who's approached by a lot of people. There's there's people who want to, you know, get into a business with you, get deals with you, get partnerships with you, you know, always want your time. How do you decide in terms of, okay, you know, who deserves my time and who doesn't? And when do I draw a line and say, hey, you know what, this is, this is not working out for me? So, because I, I would see that, you know, seeing the profile that you have and the position that you have, you know, in the country that you, in the country that you're at, you're going to have a lot of people reaching out to you. So how do you decide on, okay, what's going to work? What's not going to work? And, and when do I back down? Well, you know, as you know, the work that we've been doing inside of our mastery program, a real big part of the discoveries that many of you have made, and there's many of them, of course, that unfold for you is, is, is most of us live a very highly unintentional life. All of us, we all do. You know, we, we largely have a very predictable existence. You, you'll wake up at a predictable time. You'll get ready in a predictable way. You'll eat predictable stuff. You'll go to work in a predictable manner. You'll, you'll do routine things that are quite well predictable. And that's okay because, because the name of the game is survival. That's, that's what our three million year old brain has perfected. It's just that one act, the act of survival. That's it. Even being inspired or motivated or lit up or loving, that takes something. That's that, and that creates threat perceivably by the brain. Right. So, so what you've got to always be asking yourself is, what do I wish to intend? What do I want to be doing? And if I were to do it, would that light me up? Does that compensate me fairly? Does it does it pay things forward? Does it make a lasting impact? So, the more you create the standards you want to live up to and through, and govern yourself with it, you start really looking at your commitments very differently. You say yes with power and you say no with power. 
and neither with guilt. And because those commitments you start to make, you know, are consistent and aligned with the intention you wish to live by in your life. So at the end of the day, it's really easy, for example, for really, 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 really old rich people say, I just want to give back to society because there's nothing left to do. You've made all the money in the world. You've conquered every commercial mountain you needed to. Now is the time to give back. But we don't have to wait till we're that old and we don't have to wait till we're that rich to do that right now. It, it just comes down to making great decisions. So for me, I mean, I do an audit on a regular basis, usually every month to say, hey, if I were to look at my world, what are all the things I'm doing? And as I sort them out from really, really low impact, low income to really, really high impact, high income, and I qualified that way, where does, where does the scale level start to sort out? And I begin to notice that if I look at my time and if I've got, and it's usually like this, 60% of my time are on low impact, low income items. And I notice about 40% of my time is on high impact, high, high impact, high uh, uh, income generating opportunities. Right. So it's time for a recalibration. Yeah. It's time to say, okay, I'll knock that one off. That one's off. That one's off. Bring that time down and push it over where it deserves to, to restore some balance. Cut that. Right. Cut that. Because sometimes things that are over here, low income, low impact, Mm-hmm. become a high impact, high income. Agreed. And uh, that's just sort of the entrepreneur's way. So, but at the end of the day, yeah, I, I cause my days. They don't cause me. Yep. I love that. Again, like I said, pure gold are being uh, dished out today. So thank you for that. Two more well, questions uh, before we wrap this up. And then perhaps, you know, you could even have the real play, the one that you mentioned earlier on. That'd be nice, I guess, for at least the people who are uh, sure. the, the visual version of this. So, uh, my second last question for today would be this, that the world's definitely gone through a difficult time, right? This has been something that, you know, we haven't seen for generations. And a lot of people right now are not in the best, you know, headspace, or maybe not even, you know, in the best financial state, or maybe not even in the best of health because they haven't really, you know, come through this entire piece. So they're scared, they're frightened, they're uncertain. So people are truly smashed and bashed. I mean, that's 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 the way it is for a lot of people right now. What would be your advice to them, you know, based on all the experience that you've had and everything else? What would be, what would be your advice to people who are just going through that situation at the moment? I mean, listen, in, in 104 years of, of human recorded history, we've not quite seen a pandemic quite like this one. I mean, the good news is that we're informed and the good news is we have access to lots of insights and information. The not so good news is that we've lacked the leadership on a global scale where we've heard different stories, different versions, different views, and therefore we're all quite discombobulated with what to believe and what direction to take. But without getting too philosophical and even sounding too opinionated, I think for you, you at home, listening to this podcast, watching this vlog, following Garab and the great work that he's doing, you, you just got to say, look, let me, let me take care of myself. So the first thing you want to just ask yourself is, is what do I want to reclaim? What was there in my life before the pandemic hit that I've lost, compromised, or lost some of that I like to have all back? Right. It might be financial. It could be physical because some of us gained weight and are no longer in shape because the gyms are closed and we're eating at home more than we should. Or it could be something relational. Whatever it is, just declare what it is you want back. What would you like to restore to its original position? Number two is just take inventory of, of the top two, three, four things you need to do to start being into somewhat action. You don't have to solve this problem right now. You don't have to restore everything within a matter of minutes, days, or hours. I mean, it's going to take some time. You've lost it over the past year and a bit. It's going to might take you about a year and a bit just to get back to where you've got to go. But at least you'll be diligent 
and, and conscious of it. So what are the first one, two, three, five, ten 10 steps you've got to take over the next one, two, five, ten 10 months? Right. Third and final though, third and final is you also want to give yourself the permission to really be sad, upset, or angry at any time. I mean, and one of the things that we know in this world of self-leadership, self-development is that people are just taking life too seriously. Sometimes some things suck. Sometimes you're smashed. Sometimes you're bashed. But as we know, Gaurav, you ain't dashed. So we're still alive. We're still breathing. We're still blessed to be here and join this thing called life. Give yourself the, the humanity that you deserve to say, you know what? Yeah, that does bother me. You know what? Got it. And move on. You know what? That was really upsetting. I got it. Move on. Just get it. Because yeah. if you don't get it, if you don't own it, it's going to get you and it'll own you. So just, just keep moving. Right. And so you said, um, re- uh, so one he said is uh, recognize or uh, reclaim, uh, inventorize and, and accept, acknowledge and move forward. Awesome. Super. So my last question for you today is going to be this. Based on all that you've achieved, and of course you've done really, really young, what still drives Richie Dolan? Like, what is it that is, you know, your why and, and your fire and the reason that you get out of bed every morning saying, hey, I'm going to go out there and, and crush this all over again. So what is what is your driver? I think that comes down to uh, really a two-sided answer. I mean, there, there may have been a time in my life I may have only had one and, and the other answer, I may have only had it. But, but today, as both a leader, but also a father, I know that I wear the responsibility called, I, I need to be an example for my son. And so that he knows what uh, his father does, why it's important, and the standard that I want him to live up to and through. I want him to crush my goals. I want him to stand on a mountain of my achievements and look down on them saying, that's all you did, dad. I want him to have that right to judge me. And I look down at him and say, look up to him and say, hey, that's that a boy, keep going. So I know that he's watching. I know that he's learning because I know that our children their greatest example and role models for who they are and what they're destined to become is largely on us. On the other side, though, is just who I'm responsible to. My mastery students like yourself, Karab, and the other 24 in the world, but also my followers, also my students in Rich U, also my fans, my friends, my faithful. And know that as, as I continue to declare a certain way and standard of living, they're watching. Because the, the, the moment I stop doing that, I believe they stop thinking it's possible. So, so as a champion for the cause and, and an ambassador for that possibility, I feel I, I owe it to those people. And it's consistent with my calling that all people are lit. And I think, uh, Rob, you know that every time we interact, it's all about lighting them up, baby. That's all it's about, man. So uh, I say, let's go and get it. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think we really look forward to someday, you know, having you come down to India. And, uh, you know, maybe yeah, we'll we'll throw a, a smash bash yet not dash conference and we'll have you um, open that in front of 10,000 people or, or what have you. I mean, India is a big country, so you can never really can tell how many might show up. But I think 10,000 10, people, that's that's your close family. That's all. That's just close family for you. True that. True that. But thank you so very much. And I truly appreciate you taking out, you know, your time and what is uh, a very, very busy week for you. I know yesterday oh, you had uh, you know, Steve and, and all of that. And it's just um, an honor and a pleasure. And I'm sure that all the listeners would really want to connect with you. And of course, I'll put in all your social handles and, and everywhere where they can find you. For everyone who's listening in today, um, ladies and gentlemen, you need to follow this man. Okay, like this is like someone who is is just even today, he was just, you know, so understated. But he is a phenomenal person, and I know he will change the world. So, um, oh, 
Why don't we show the video? Then they saw it. Then they'll, they'll yeah, see who the heck I am. Why don't we do yeah. that? I'll go in here and I'll, I'll say goodbye. And I hope you guys enjoy this. Let's take a look at my highlight reel. And this might put into perspective just who I am and what I've done. What do you think, Rob? Tell me, give me a thumbs up if you see the video rolling, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Mr. Richard Dolan. Like most of you in this room, we're all here for the right reasons, to grow richer in the things that matter. You're a great coach, first of all, because you care. Ain't that cool, man? Phenomenal. Yep, phenomenal stuff. And to put in all of that in one minute, I think that's that's even better. So well done, well done. Real pleasure. We're gonna have to add a, a clip from this show, smashed, bashed, and not dashed to my highlight reel because this is a real pleasure. I'm proud of you. I'm rooting for you. I stand for you, and I love all that you're doing, Rob. So thanks so much for letting me be a part of your world. I don't take that invitation lightly, man. Thank you. Appreciate it, and we will catch up soon. Thank you so much, uh, Richie. Really, really appreciate this. Thank you. You be well, brother.